0: All right, all right. How are we doing this evening? I'm like running all over the place on a ruptured healing Achilles. Can't barely stand. Junior high, welcome. Welcome. How many of you just got back from retreat this last weekend? Let me hear some shouts. Y'all, it was a good weekend. High school, where are you at here this evening? Are you in the room? All right, I know some of you had had homecoming this last weekend. Some of you have homecoming this weekend. Who has homecoming this weekend? Just at a... Yes, all of the College Pathways kids. You don't know what grade you're in. That's how I always know who you are. You're like, I'm kind of a senior. Perfect. You could just set it right down over there, Catherine. If you got your Bibles, okay, you're going to turn to Acts 17. Acts 17. We got two more weeks. Tonight and next week in the book of Acts, it's going to be... Um, a good time. I'm really excited for this message tonight. If you haven't been here over the past couple weeks, let me catch you up just real quick. We've had this man named Saul, who's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's persecuting the church. Then all of a sudden, he has this encounter with the living God on on the road to Damascus. He's blinded. He goes to Damascus. He meets a man named Ananias. He prays over him, he gets his vision back, his life turns around, he changes his name from Saul to Paul, and this guy just begins to be a witness of the message of Jesus Christ all over Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the kind of the remainder of Acts is talking about three missionary journeys that this man Paul has. And tonight, I'm gonna show you a moment in the middle of his second missionary journey that I think is going to be something beautiful for us here this evening. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to read. It's a little bit of a bigger text, so I'm gonna knock it all out on the front end. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna rock and roll and see what God has to do with us this evening. Acts 17, starting in verse 16, it says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw. Everyone say, he saw. He saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Everyone say unknown God. If you have your physical Bible with you, I want you to underline or highlight that phrase, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, everyone say now. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. If you have your physical Bible, I want you to underline that word, repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Ooh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. God, let that statement never get old. Let it be upon our lips an infinite amount of times for the rest of the days that you have given us. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you that you've given us your word revealed by your Holy Spirit this evening to speak to us, to transform us, to take the dead places of our life and give them life or to take our dead lives and make them alive. Would you come and Would you convict us? Would you shape us? Would you break us down and would you build us up? Would you sanctify us? Would you renew us? Would you give us hope? Would you give us, uh, as we sang earlier, unveiled eyes to see you and behold you? We, We wanna know you, God. And if we don't wanna know you in here, we want you to change that tonight. So would you come and would you have your way? Speak, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts to believe. And if you agree with that, can you say amen? Amen, Amen. this is a big text, big text. Essentially what we have is the Apostle Paul has now gone to Athens. He's gone to Athens and he, he predominantly goes to two places when he arrives into a new location when he's preaching the gospel. The first place that he goes to is the synagogues and he goes to the Jews first. And he begins to preach the message of Jesus Christ, namely that Jesus was the son of God, the living God. He came, he lived, he died, but he rose again. And now he is seated at the right hand of the father. And one day he's going to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. He starts in the synagogue with this message. Then he works his way to the marketplace and he begins to speak this good news to the Gentiles. And he's in Athens and he begins to speak this message, and and, and he begins to notice something. He takes eyes in Athens of all of these temples and idols that the people are beginning to worship. He sees idolatry all over the place, and this motivates the message in him all the more to preach the message of Jesus Christ, and so he's preaching this message, and in Athens, you have all forms of Greek philosophers, the greatest minds on earth, who like to contemplate the meaning of life, sitting there, and they're watching this babbler, this Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a Roman, and he's Jewish, and he's come here, and he's preaching this message of what seems to be a foreign divinity, and the text here identifies two philosophical camps who are listening to Paul. The first camp that we see here is the Stoics. Everyone say Stoics. Now, the Stoics' philosophy was this mindset to say, you know what? We, we believe that if we are going to be spiritual beings, we need to kind of detach from everything physical. I want you to think of Wong from Doctor Strange, okay? Like attachment with the physical is detachment from the spiritual. Are you with me? So they're like, you know what? We're gonna kinda live in caves and we're gonna live on the bare minimum. We're gonna have like desert fathers, monks, like these people who who don't wanna accumulate wealth because they wanna be spiritual beings, okay? I don't think we have a huge issue with that here in this room this evening. If I was preaching in the Middle East, maybe, but that's not the case tonight. On the other hand, we have the Epicureans. Everyone say Epicureans. Now these guys were pretty interesting. Their philosophical ideology was was this, that there is a God, there is a transcendent being, but here's the bottom line, that God is distant and he doesn't care about our lives. So the purpose and meaning of life is to pursue pleasure to whatever end it will please you. Are you with me? So they say, yes, there is a God, he created us, but he doesn't care about us. He's off in some distant universe and the goal of life is to please our lives as best we can. I think this one might speak to us just a little bit more tonight. This idea of living life for what's best for us. And here's where it can get kind of tricky. Sometimes we go, no, 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 I believe in God, but only to the extent that he makes my life good. As long as once this message of Jesus begins to contradict, compromise, or make me feel uncomfortable with what I think is best for my life, this is no longer a gospel for me. And this is what's really fascinating. Paul Paul walks into Athens, and he's looking around, and he sees all of these temples, and he's watching all of these people pay tribute to these idols, give to these idols, these these deities, these, these things in their life that they think are bringing them ultimate significance that breaks his heart, and he begins to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Preach the message of Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing, like, we sit here thousands of years later, and you're like, Pastor Tim, we do not have a temple across the street to Zeus, Athena, Ares, Hades, or whoever else we learned about in Greek mythology, okay, like that's as far as I made it, I can't remember really any others, right? And so we're you're like, we don't have this problem of like, like I don't go and I don't like like cut myself and op- you know give blood to some idol and pray that they'll give me favor, and you're like, Pastor Tim, that's not really relevant for us today. I'm gonna suggest to you otherwise. I think we have plenty of idolatry around us today to where this text might actually hit us a little closer to home than we think. Now, we might not be offering our worship to Zeus, we might not be offering our worship to Hades, we might not be offering our worship to Athena, we might not be trying to find these Greek gods to give us significance in our life, but we do offer our lives to things that we do think give us ultimate significance. And here's just what I want to do. As I was studying for this message, I was praying and I was asking, Lord, Lord, what are idols that I feel we perceive today in our world in Northern Colorado Springs at the end of September in 2021? As I look across the landscape of our culture, if I were to pull up social media, if I were to pull up Google, if if I were to look at the landscape or the newsreels over the last several months, what would we call the idols? of our time. Now this is how I wanna define idols so that we're all working from the same definition. Can we put this definition on the screen? Idols, things that we cherish over a love relationship with Jesus or that we look to for ultimate satisfaction, okay? All right, this is what I'm gonna define as an idol. Anything in my life, anything in my life that I would cherish, that I would treasure, that I would value more than a love relationship with Jesus, or that I would run to to ultimately satisfy my soul when I'm discontent. Are you with me tonight? This is our definition for idols, okay? Now, as I was praying, there were six things that I felt the Lord highlighted that we might be able to define as things that we cherish more than a love relationship with Jesus, or things that we look to to ultimately satisfy our lives. Okay, first one is this, the American dream. Everyone say American dream. Now, this might not relate to you too much because you're like, we are not graduated out of college yet, we're not starting to work and earn an income right now, but we, you look around the world and in the Western American capitalistic mindset, it's about building your wealth, building your wealth. Now. This might not have a much, much significance for you now, but there are two layers that this might hit your life, where you look about your life and you're seeing your parents embrace this. Where maybe you can be honest and say, in my home, it seems to be that my parents are far more concerned with the future, far more concerned with our lifestyle, far more concerned with how we present ourselves to the world and being successful in this world than anything else on a level this may hit you right now, is we like stuff. How many people like stuff? Oh, I like stuff. I, ooh, I like, yeah, it used to be when I was like in high school, I, I loved to get a new pair of shoes. I loved to get like new clothing. I, I, my parents never let me play video games, so I don't know what it was like to get like a new video game, but those were fun. When you went and played them at siblings' houses, like, like how many of you are 16 in here or older? Okay, how many of you are driving? How many of you have your own car? Yeah, I got a monster. He's like, I got my own car. It's nice to have a car. It's nice to have a car that smells nice. Know what I mean? That like, seats make your butt feel warm. Like, and and here's, here's like the trick. Like, it's weird how it does this. It's weird how it happens, but like, stuff in some weird way, shape, or form, just makes us feel like more superior human beings. You Know what I mean? Like, like, like you, 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 I go, okay, my car went down. It was the saddest thing, my, my first car. I drove it for 13, 14 years It went down just a couple weeks ago. Many of you have seen me driving at Blue Kia Optima. I called her Kiki. She was my first love, okay? Like, saddest thing ever. She went down about a month ago and I was looking for a new car. And I went searching and I, I, went, I went to a couple dealerships and I hopped in a couple trucks this is nice. <laughs> I'm like, babe, if I buy this, you have a whole new husband. Like, and, and, and it, it's like the same concept of a gym membership. It's, oh, it's so like demonic the way it works. I start like trying to justify the logic. I'll be a better husband to you in this car. You will have the best dates of your life with me taking you out in this car we will have the greatest adventures as a married couple in Colorado in this car. And my wife's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I start like kind of pulling out, you know, like the, the big guns. I'm like, think of our babies one day in the back of this car. I'm like, don't you think like they would want a daddy with a truck? She's like, yeah. No, my wife's not like that. She's like, shut up, son. She's like, this won't make you a better human being. You'll be the same human being, but you'll be in debt. That's really what it's like, though. That's really what it's like. For the record, I have not gotten a new car. I'm still driving an old beater from my parents looking for my next car. But there's something about, like, new stuff that makes us feel awesome. And it makes us kind of buy into this lie, like, I will be a better, more pristine, better-looking human being with this stuff. And this is the idea of the American dream. Go after it. Let your life be spent pursuing the best life that you could possibly imagine and make it to where by the end of your life, you don't have to worry about anything. You can just kind of coast on into retirement, just kind of spending money where you want and kind of blessing your grandkids here and there. And just do you, boo, the American dream, an idol that I feel we have today in the 21st century. And this one kind of ties closely with it. Number two our worldview. This is what I mean by this. Every person in here, whether you realize it or not, has a way they view the world as to what is true and what is not. What is true, what is not. So this is what we end up doing. We take our perspective, our upbringing, our outlook on life, and we say, this is the true version of life. And everybody needs to fit within the way I see life. And if they do not fit within the way I see life, they are sinful, they are broken, they are unjust, they are whatever political party, and they need to get their act together. And so we might have that mindset, but the the younger the generations go, the ideology might more sound like this. Well, there's no one way to truth. Everybody just lives their own truth. And here will be the grid by which we define something as truth. As long as what you are doing is not hurting other people, then it is okay for that to be your truth. And it's okay for you to look at the world that way. So what you can do is kind of go on this like like buffet of worldviews where you go, ooh, I'll take a little bit of that. Like that sounds nice. If, oh, that one lets me drink alcohol. I'll take that one. I'll go ahead and come over here and it's like, oh, I don't have to be like super ethical with my money. I'll go ahead and take that one right there. Oh, this one allows me to like several people at the same time and lead a couple different people on because like I'm just doing my thing. Like I'll take that. And what we have is a world in chaos. Because we've idolized our view of the world as the absolute true view of the world. And we've, we've begun to say, actually, my view of the world is more satisfying and more ultimate than God's view of the world. And so we embrace that as our reality. I, idol number three. It's a big one. Relationships. I love giving this message to students. It's so fun, right? Like, okay, Miss Catherine, she got up this last week at junior high retreat. She was preaching Saturday morning. I love the way she said this. Sometimes there's just like this belief that we have that, you know, like that other significant someone is going to complete us. Right? Like, there's somebody in your life, whether they're in this room, whether they're in this state, whether they're on the other side of the world, that's going to make you a more complete human being. And we look at, the, we look at all of our media right now. And we go like, oh, we just like, we play it all up, you know, that like all oh, these couples are so perfect together, like all oh, Tom Holland and Zendaya, they're so beautiful, you know? And it's like, oh, they're just like perfect together and it's like Spider-Man and Mary Jane, I don't know her name, okay? And like, like we come to this right where, and, and here, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you a, a, a hardball truth as a man who's been married six years. My wife, no doubt, most of the time adds to my life and my wife, no doubt many of times has taken away from my life and never once in my entire marriage in the last six and a half years has my wife ever completed my life ever, ever. And here's the thing, here's the thing. Like I'm not not just talking about like, like romantic relationships here. Like this is the case with friends. We end up putting more hope, more value, more security, more treasure in our friendships than in God. And so then what you can end up having is you can put your friends in situations where they need to be God for you, and when they fall short, they disappoint you, and all that's doing is God revealing to you that they were an idol. Let me give you an example of how I hear about this all the time. I have, I have, I have kids come to me and tell me that they went to tell their friends that they were wrestling with committing suicide, and they are livid that their friends had the audacity to go tell somebody that could help them. idolatry, that this person you would think has the ability to play God in your life and not love you enough to get you the help that you need because they know they can't be the help that you need. We do this all the time. Family relationships, family relationships. We have this expectation maybe that mom and dad are always supposed to be perfect, And all the issues we have in our life right now is because mom and dad weren't present. They weren't loving us enough. They were pursuing the American dream and not engaging with me. And hear me, I'm not justifying that sin, but hear me, they were never meant to be your God. And they never will be. They never will be. And until you can accept that reality, you'll never be able to see your mother or your father with eyes of grace the way that Jesus does. He never expected them to be perfect parents of you, ever. And here's here's the news flash. He won't expect that of you either when you have your children. Thank you, Pastor Chase. He's got Easton right now. He's like, This is the case. Preach, preacher, right? All right, relationships. Number four, we're going to get a little bit deep going on here. Religion. It's amazing. This one might be a little bit more common in the north end of Colorado Springs with families who have been going to church their whole life and they've always pursued religion but never known Jesus in relationship. And so you spend your life doing everything right, reading your Bible, not cussing, not sleeping around, not drinking, doing everything, going to church every week, sometimes four times a week, sometimes nine times a week, if that's even possible, but you do it, right? And you're, you're, you're zooming in eight different preachers from around the country and getting your spiritual cup full all the time, and, and, and you're doing all this, and all of this is bringing you your significance. And you kind of come before the Lord with your teacup of righteousness and say, look at how steezy I am. And it's not that steezy, is it steezy? No, it's not. But we do this. We begin to idolize our works and we begin to think that what we are doing for God is so much more significant and valuable than God himself. What we do for God is so much more significant and valuable than God himself and God's not interested in it. He calls it religion. This is a big one, number five. Bear with me here. Listen to me, listen to me. Sexuality, we make, and I'm gonna gonna be ultra clear with what I'm talking about here. And I know junior high is in the room and I'm gonna talk to you guys as young men and young women. I put this on the screen and for some, what this might mean is, oh okay, he's going after the LGBTQ community. He's going after those, you know, who, who guys who, who, who maybe have ab- abandoned liking women and actually like other men, or, or women who have abandoned liking men and, and liking other women. And, and yeah, this is right, Pastor. Our sexuality, it's become broken in our culture. It's an idol. I need you to hear me tonight. I am talking to every single person in this room. Every single person in this room. Because here's what our culture does we glorify our sexuality whether you are straight, heterosexual, whether you are gay, whether you are bi, anywhere on the spectrum. And we say, this is what we say, whatever you feel is best for you is your absolute truth. Live it out. As long as it's not hurting anybody, just go ahead and embrace it. If it feels good, if it's what you feel is right for you, do it, this is where porn addictions come from. This is where marriage is, where husbands and wives, they can't be faithful to one another and they got to go looking for somebody else to satisfy them sexually because they have made sexuality, our sexual preferences more ultimate, more valuable than Jesus himself. And they look for that ultimate satisfaction in some new experience. And here's a problem with this. Nothing ever satisfies you. Nothing ever satisfies satisfies you. Hear me, if you think when you get married one day that all forms of sexual temptation will stop because you can finally do things with a clean conscience, it's not true. We make our sexuality the way God has made us, and we take this gift that God has given, and we say, what's best for me that will be what's most ultimate. And hear me, God's not interested in sharing it with you. We make it so much more valuable than Jesus himself. It is the case for every straight person, every gay person, every bi person, anywhere on the spectrum, that the invitation of the gospel is not, not to become more sexually inclined to what we see necessarily in the Bible, but to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, number six. This where am gonna land. Self-image. We cherish, we value, we uphold, we get after the idea of self-image. How we present ourselves to the world becomes the most valuable thing to us. There's a couple things that I wanna hit on with this. This is not hard to see when you open up social media, right? We've heard this a thousand times. Consumed with the way we look. Consumed with how the world perceives us. Are we attractive people? Are we good looking people? Am I somebody who's desirable to be around? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go after a couple different groups tonight. I, I need you to hear me say, as I was prepping this message, I'm not being chippy and I'm not being sarcastic, I'm not being salty. I don't have a, an agenda with what I'm about to say. Are you with me? Are you with me? I'm giving to you this as an older brother, a follower of Jesus, as a pastoral consideration from your youth pastor. Are you with me? Yes, Ladies, I want you to listen to me. The way you dress your body the way you present yourself to this world, whether on social media, whether at school, whether on some sports field, the way you present your body, you need to remember that you bear the image of Christ. And I'm gonna speak specifically right now to the believers in this room, ladies who follow Jesus in here. If you don't follow Jesus, I can't, I can't call you to this standard because you don't know the goodness of Jesus, and I hope you will by the end of the night. But if you're a follower of Jesus, hear me. All of the men in this room right now, by biblical definition, God calls your brother in Christ. Are you with me? Not at me, ladies. I can't see any of you, because you're all blurry. I don't got my glasses on, but I can see you not, okay? When you dress yourself and you walk out of your house, the question that the gospel mandates of you is to say, is what I'm wearing helpful to my brother or sister in Christ? Are you with me? Is what I'm wearing, is what I am posting about helpful to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Now hear me, they are responsible for their own sin, their own brokenness, and I'm not putting that responsibility for their brokenness on you. I'm putting the responsibility of being aware of it on you. And I'm specifically saying this to the ladies in this room because I don't see this as much an issue with men right now as I do with women. There is this ideology out there that's it's it's the celebration of your body. Show what you got. Give little room for imagination. Be remembered. Be noticed. And I'm telling you, women who embrace that lifestyle do not know the goodness and love and care that they have from their heavenly father. That's all it does. That's all it exposes this idea that I, I have such a craving to be noticed out here, because I don't believe that I'm noticed by him. And so we idolize our self-image. And instead of caring for our brothers or sisters in Christ, for our high schoolers in here, we got a whole generation of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders who are looking up to you. And they're looking at the way that you carry yourselves in high school, the way that you'll carry yourself at homecoming this weekend, or last weekend, or in future weekends, they're looking at the way that you dress. They're looking at the way that you speak. They're looking at what you're posting. And the image that they're being given is this is what it means to follow Jesus as a 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grader. I want you to ask yourselves, is that something that you're putting before the Lord and making more ultimate than him or letting him inform? Are you with me? Fellas, the ladies aren't the only ones who are guilty of this. We are consumed with self-image. I know this because I show up at the gym and it's not hard, you, like, like there's this guy the other day at the gym, he's getting cranked and he's sitting there and he's like, he's like holding his weight and he's pulling up his shirt and he's just fascinated with himself. I mean, his eyes just like, I'm, I'm like, my goodness, dear bro, go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, uh, hear me. We are sinful human beings. And here's the thing, this is the bottom line truth, the world is going to value always certain things. And the world will always celebrate certain things. And it takes a godly man and a godly woman to know that those things will never satisfy our souls. Now I wanna be clear with something, I am not saying it's bad to go work out at the gym, it is not bad to have style i not saying that at all. I'm saying be godly with it. Are you with me? All right, six idols. These are the things that we see today that if Paul were walking in our culture, he might not see a bunch of temples along the road going, what the goodness is taking place, but what he would see if he pulled up any Instagram feed, pulled up Facebook, hopped on any newsreel, is these things saturating our culture. Now here, there's a root lie It's not the exclusive root lie, but here's one of the main root lies that I think send us into pursuing these idols over and over and over again, and is that God wants you to be happy. And so we begin to make this statement our North Star. God wants you to be happy. And if, if your happiness is God's ultimate objective, then you need to wear what you want, you need to do what you want, you need to say what you want, you need to follow what you want, you need to live what you want, you need to believe what you want, because that is going to what may be what makes you most happy. But I need you to hear me. The invitation of the gospel is not that God wants you to be happy, it's that God's calling you to be holy. God's calling you to be holy. Holy, this idea of being set apart, set apart. Now, here's the problem with this. We do not have the ability to be holy in and of ourselves. At this point, this is not good news. Enter in the message that Paul gives at Areopagus. And he says, look, I perceive what's going on here let me tell you the message of Jesus Christ. And there are three things that he tackles here in this mini sermon that I want you to take notice of. The first one is this, that God is capable. Everyone say, God is capable. I want you to look at this. Let's go ahead and put verse 24 or 25 on the screen if we have it. Okay, here we go. The God who made the world, everyone say the world. And everything in it. I love this, he opens with giving God's resume. He goes, okay, I know that you got Zeus, the god of lightning, and you got Athena, the god of something, and Hades, the god of the underworld, and you got Ares, the god of war. But I need you to hear me. The god I'm talking about is the god who made the world and everything in it. In other words, this is not a god who's over one thing or some things. He's the god over all things. All things. He starts with his resume. And this, he says this, being Lord of heavens and earth does not live in temples made by man. Made by man. So what he's saying is, he's like, you've got these broken areas of your life. You want a baby and you go running to some, some God of fertility. You want success, you begin to go, go run to some God of favor and wealth. You want rain to come down, you begin to run to the God over rain. He's going, hear me, that's not the God I'm talking about. The God I come to talk to you about today is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord over the heavens and over the earth. There is nothing above him. There's nothing more preeminent over him, nothing more supreme. He is over all things. This is what this means. If you have this little voice in your head that's going, I hear this message that you're talking about, pastor, but you don't understand. Your God doesn't know how bad of a human being I am. Your God doesn't know how broken I am. Your God doesn't know how sinful I am. Your God doesn't know how dark my thoughts are. Your God doesn't know how dark my life has been or the things that I've done or the things that I've thought. I need you to hear me. This God is capable. He's capable. He is not just over your situation. He made your world and everything in your world and he is sovereign over everything iota, cell aspect of your life. Are you with me? Paul goes, this God is capable. He's not just the God over some things. He's the God over everything. But then he hits him with the second point. This God gives generously. Everyone say generously. I love this. Verse 25. Nor is he served by any human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself, what? What? Gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I love the way he went about that. life and breath and everything. Everything. He himself gives this is what he's saying. I know I, I, I know you Stoics and you Epicureans. I know that when you want things, you go to these temples and you go to these idols and you offer up something to them because they expect you to offer up something of them, and they need this from you in order to do what you need them to do. And I need you to hear me, the God I'm talking about does not need anything from you. And in fact, the gospel itself is nothing about what you give to God, but everything about what God has given to you. Are you with me? Are you with me? So this is where it kind of be, be, gets a wrestle in and of yourself. You begin to go, okay, wait a minute. It's not what about, why am I coming to church? Why am I trying to, to live a, a moral lifestyle, a holy lifestyle? Like, like what, what is this all about? Like, I'm, I'm trying to do all these right things. If that's where you are, then God's revealing to you tonight that religion is your idol that you in some way, shape, or form believe that the only way God will love you, the only way God will care for you is based upon what you have to offer him. When the gospel is nah, you got nothing to offer him, yet he's got everything to offer you. That's why this is good news. But he's not just capable. He's not just capable, and he doesn't just give generously. This is the main point I wanna drive home tonight. This God can be known. This God can be known. I want to read this last verse here, and then I'm going to illustrate this for you. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Look here. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, Listen here, brothers and sisters. He is actually not far from each one of us. Can you just hear those words tonight? God is not far from each one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. We live. So this God's over everything in your life. He created your life. <laughs> he has given generously to your life, namely himself. But this is big. This is what makes it good news, is he can be known. He can be known. Logan, come on up here, my man. Come on up here. My man Logan, he's looking fresh tonight. There's a way I wanna illustrate this to you. Logan's an incredible young man. Incredible young man. Now, for the sake of this illustration, we are going to act, act. Don't go home saying the youth pastor said he's God, I'm not God. But for the sake of this illustration, we're gonna pretend like I am God, and Logan is a man that I have fearfully and wonderfully made, okay? In my image, I love him, I care for him. He's got blonde hair, I do not, okay? So, (laughs) don't freak out. Pastor Victor, go ahead and come on up here. Now for the sake of this illustration, and don't say this, to your parents either that Pastor Tim called Victor the devil, because he's not, all right? <laughs> However, Pastor Victor does look like me, kinda, until he grew out his hair. He's got this luscious mane that Prem loves, okay? All right, Now, for the sake of this, now there, there is kind of a uniqueness to this. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have Victor play the enemy here, Logan play my creation, and, and there's kind of a uniqueness to the fact that Victor kind of looks like me, because here's the thing most of the time the enemy likes to approach us as if he is offering something like God. This is what we saw all the way back in the garden. He kind of presents an image that he has something to offer similar to God but is better than God himself. So he kind of comes as if he's God himself. Now here's the thing, I, I fearfully and I wonderfully made Logan, but Logan, like every human being since Adam, has abided and chosen the sinful nature. So what this means is Logan said, I don't need you to give purpose for my life. I can go ahead and make my own purpose in life. And he listens to that, 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 that small voice that Victor might be saying, or the enemy might be saying, saying, you don't need what God has for you. There's so much more. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him putting on this backpack symbolize that he is, has he is taken on the responsibility for giving his own life purpose. And I'm gonna act as if Logan believes like one of these Epicureans, where he's saying, actually, God did create me, but my belief about this God is that this God is distant. He's far away. He doesn't care about my life. Meanwhile, what he's going to do is he's going to listen to the voice of the enemy and embrace idolatry. He's going to say, I wanna pursue my own life. He's going to say, I wanna define what's best for me. He's going to say, you know what, I'm okay with being my own God. He's gonna say, you know what, this God doesn't care about me, so I gotta give my own meaning to my life. And all the while he is doing this, the enemy's adding burdens to his life. He's putting him not just with a heavy weight on his back that he can't bear himself, He's going to make it. Logan, you're such an incredible dude. He's going to make it where Logan cannot function because of all the idolatry that he's chosen to embrace over time. But this is not where it ends. Idolatry doesn't just bring burdens, it brings bondage. It takes away our ability to see what's true. It takes away our ability to hear with ears of faith that God cares us for us and that he loves us. And so embracing this idolatry, embracing this life that you think is best for yourself, it's not just going to weigh you down to where you cannot live freely. It's going to take your eyes off what matters. It's going to stop your ears from hearing the truth about what God says about you. It's gonna take the hands that he gave you to praise him all the days of your life, and it's gonna bind them up, all the while promising you that this is what the good life looks like. It looks like choosing what's best about your sexuality, choosing to, to go ahead and embrace a life that's trying to constantly please God, that's trying to constantly earn God's affection, earn God's love. It's gonna keep you from walking the path which God has called you to walk, all the while you believe this God is far away. He doesn't care about your life. He doesn't see you, he doesn't know you, he doesn't love you. Hear me, this is the message that Paul is giving in this moment. The gospel is, Jesus enters in, he enters in. He's not some father walking out on the distance, careless. He understands that all of this is not going to be what's best for his children. He understands that this is not the way he wants his kids to live. And here's the thing with idolatry. It will bring you here. It'll promise you goodness when it loads you up with burdens. It'll promise you freedom as it binds your hands, as it binds your feet, as it covers your eyes, as it stops your ears. And it leaves you there. It leaves you there. But that's not the story of our faith story of our faith is that the true god would enter in he would enter in and he would see his children as ephesians says before the foundation of the world before the foundation of the world knowing this is what his children would choose His children would choose religion over him. His children would choose the American dream or materials over him. His children would choose to make their sexuality more supreme than the life of Jesus. His children would choose to make their worldview and what they think is right and wrong more superior. Meanwhile, when they could do nothing for themselves, when they weren't even doing anything right, he comes running. And he says, no, 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 no. Your story's not gonna be one bound by chains. Your hands are not gonna be bound by fear. I'm not gonna let you have that. Sit up for me, brother. I'm not gonna let you be deaf to what I have to say about you. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to tell you that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to give you eyes to see. Eyes to see that I am here. I am here. I'm going to go ahead and take this burden that you've embraced as your good life. And though it's heavy, though it hurts, though it causes me pain, I'll put it on my back. And in place, I'm going to stand you on your feet. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to leave you here. I'm going to look you in the eyes and tell you that you're mine. I'm going to look you in the eyes and tell you that I am more worthy than all of this. And I'm going to tell you that as you walk through life, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I am going to be with you, for I made you. Look at me, Logan. I made you, I made you. The burdens that you carry, the burdens that you embrace, no longer have to be yours. I'll let them be mine. Hear me, brothers and sisters. This is what the good news is, that God does not expect you To figure out how to be holy for him. But in his love, he chose to get off his heavenly throne, to come down here to earth, to pick you up, to break your chains, to take your burdens, to give you eyes to see, to give you ears to hear. But not just that, to give you a purpose to live for, a purpose to live for. Hear me, you no longer have to bear the weight of giving meaning to your life. You don't live for yourself anymore, you live for me. And I promise you that every time you do it in the glory of my name, you will find the thing that satisfies your soul. You will walk to the well that does not run dry. You will eat the bread of life to which you will never go hungry again. This is what Jesus has to offer. What's our role in it? How do we respond? This is what the apostle Paul says at the end of this message. Can we go ahead and put this on the screen? The time of ignorance God overlooked. The time of saying you don't know him, he's he's overlooked. He commands all people everywhere to what? because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Do you know who this man is? His name is Jesus. And so this is what it requires. This is what following Jesus requires. Repentance is not a I'm sorry. It's a I was choosing a life for my own destruction now I choose you. I choose you. Brothers and sisters, this is what I want to invite you into tonight. I want to invite you to do something that might be a little uncomfortable for some of you. I'd like you to to get on your knees and you can space out if you'd like to. You can come forward up here in this space. Try not to go behind the sound booth. Try not to go behind the sound booth. Walk down, my man. I'm gonna invite you into something that's costly this evening. I'm gonna invite you in to repent and hear me. I'm inviting myself to do the same thing. But I think for some of you in here, this might be the first time. And don't be discouraged. Walking with Jesus requires repentance almost every day. (laughs) Every day. But hear me. That's not what God is using to check off your salvation list every day. To be with Jesus is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what Christ has done. That's right. And the only logical, real, holy response that we can give to what Christ has done is God, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me for where I have sinned against you and what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I am so sorry, but I'm not just sorry. I humbly repent. I choose to turn away from what I have valued as more valuable than you. I choose to turn away from what I have seen or believed would ultimately satisfy me. I choose to turn away from the lie that you just simply want me to be happy. And I choose to embrace that you're calling me to holiness. I choose to embrace the life of Jesus. That's what we So this is what i want you to do in your own way with the lord right now i want to invite you to repentance and i don't need to know what it was for i don't need to know which idol we put up there that really resonates with you but what i do know is that the invitation of the gospel tonight is for you to let that go and turn and lay hold of the king of kings and lord of lords whose name is jesus christ And you go, how do I do that? I don't, I'm new to this place. I don't, how would I do that? It's very simple. Just say, Jesus, forgive me and be Lord of my life. Be Lord of my life. Be Lord of my life. You go, what does that mean for my life now? You walk with the people. You walk with brothers and sisters in Christ. You embrace the life of faith with men and women, and you do life with them. You still work hard. God's not condemning the fact that you buy stuff that in and of itself is not wrong. What he wants to be clear with is that will never be of more value than himself in your life. So I wanna invite you. This team's gonna enter us back into words. I just want you to repent. And I think men and women on their knees is the proper posture to start that. So as they continue to play, brothers and sisters, let's respond to the good news of the gospel that Jesus has come running for all of us. He is breaking our chains. He is unveiling our eyes. He is opening our ears. He is taking on our burdens and instead giving us new life. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.